In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a wedding that was. Our Lord, His mother, His disciples. It's good to remember, though, that our Lord doesn't just make miracles so that people are happy. Our Lord works miracles to help people be holy. And at the conclusion of the gospel, it gave an indication of what that purpose certainly was or included. It was there that he first manifested his glory in Galilee, and his disciples believed in him. They had heard St. John the Baptist, at least Andrew and John, certainly Andrew, probably John, say, Behold the Lamb of God. They sought him out for themselves. They gave up everything, gave up their nets to follow him, but they had yet to see any manifestation of his glory. It was only John the Baptist that heard the voice from heaven as our Lord emerged from the River Jordan. Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. Not only does the Lord not work miracles to make you happy, but to make you holy, marriages happen not to make you happy, but to make you holy. Yesterday we had a particularly beautiful, solemn, high nuptial mass. And it was an occasion to remind the bridal couple of a monk that I came to know many years ago. It was my last summer of seminary, so just the months leading up to my being ordained to the diaconate. And I managed to satisfy both the seminary and the diocese because seminarians were required, are required, to do apostolic work, usually work in a parish during the summers. Overseas, it was also possible to do language study. And so we managed to get two months in a monastery to be described as language study. And the old monk who was my language tutor was 77 years old by that time. No, uh, rather 78 years old by that time. No, he was 79 years old by that time. (laughs) And he'd only been a priest for a few years. He entered the monastery when he was 70 years old. That I knew. He was even written up in the local newspapers, and he talked about it a little bit. Our language study consisted of my helping him in the garden. There was a a large, large garden behind the winter chapel of this monastery. We would go together to the neighboring convents and cloisters where nuns needed daily mass, and I would 
um, prepare the readings and be his server and be his lector for those masses. Sometimes we would just talk about beer. Both happen to agree that there's a Bavarian monastery of the Benedictines just south of Munich that has the best beer in the world. We had a lot to talk about. Sometimes we talked about scripture. Sometimes we talked about language. The only thing he ever said about his late vocation, as it were, it was his opportunity to have a few deep breaths before heaven. He had been a mining engineer, and in his retirement, the monks of Heiligenkreuz, which is the oldest continuous Cistercian monastery in the world, founded during the lifetime of St. Bernard, had established a priory very close to where he was living in retirement. He took them up on the opportunity to pray, not only in the priory, but even to be in the choir stalls. All the public were welcome to do that, similar to how the public is permitted to pray with the Dominicans at the House of Studies, or distract them, as the case may be. That all I knew of him. And so Pater Alban has always been, for me, just one of my favorite, one of my favorite people. On the occasion of this nuptial mass for a bride and groom just a few years his junior, I decided to finally look into, you know, what has happened to him, because over the years I've assumed that he's probably already met his eternal reward. What I learned about him was all that he didn't tell me. He'd been born in 1919. He excelled at school, obvious by the fact that he went to gymnasium. In Germany, gymnasium is the school you go to when, you, when it has already been decided that you're going to university afterwards. And immediately upon finishing gymnasium, he was conscripted into the German army. He was wounded twice on the Russian front. He suffered a uh, terribly um, cold winter year after year. It was in the course of that time that he wrote a letter to someone named Adolf Hitler in which he implored the man to, quote, stop his war against the church. The young man was committed to an insane asylum for several years. And his ambition, his desire, his inspiration had always been to be a priest, eventually. At one point, he even escaped from the mental hospital, fleeing towards the Swiss border, where he hoped to enter a monastery, and they captured him and dragged him back. 
Eventually, when the Reich was over, his mother and a Dominican priest who had been a missionary in China helped him recuperate. It was that Chinese missionary, or a missionary to China, rather, whose first name was Alban, whom this man uh, honored by taking his name and religion several decades later. And unable to mentally and physically approach the seminary, his family helped him adjust to a different life, that being of a mining engineer. And so he worked in the mines of southern Germany for his adulthood. That's how I learned the rest of the story. Because I knew that as a retired mining engineer at the age of 70, he finally followed through on what he had always wanted to do. What he thought God had made clearly impossible. It's significant because it's precisely at that age that even good people slow down. Bad people will have decided long before then, I'm finally going to live for myself. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to not do nothing that I don't want. Or anything I don't want. Rather... How remarkable is it for someone at that age to decide now my life belongs to God more than ever? It's true of so many of us, and it will be true for the rest of us, that when we're old and our body hurts and we're lonely, we may very well have a heart that's, that's charitable, a heart that's kind. But it's no longer apostolic. It no, no longer reaches out to, to, to serve others. Let alone continue to consecrate each day as a sacrifice to God for the benefit of others. Because by that time it will take seemingly all our effort simply not to give up. But instead, we have this example that reminds us, not just in consecration and in ordination, but even in marriage, the purpose of which is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. That every day of our lives is to be lived as a sacrifice to surrender for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. If we enjoy sacrifice, if we enjoy hard work, marriage may also 
very well make us happy. In order to assist those baptized Christians who choose that vocation, God makes it a sacrament. And these sacraments don't happen just simply to enhance our life. But rather we, just as clearly as when we approach the altar to receive Holy Communion, this is, this is God who has come into my life to bring, to bring grace, strength, power, holiness, to prepare us to see Him in heaven, to prepare our souls to hold Him as He dwells inside of us. So as we contemplate our Lord at the wedding feast of Cana, he calls us to deeper faith in him and in the means in which he has given us to become holy, to become part of the wedding feast of heaven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.